Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, most of you know me. I'm the principal of the New Life Christian Academy here, which is a ministry of the overall New Life Christian Center. And so one of the things we're, we try to be totally in sync uh, with the vision, New Life Christian Center. And one of the things that uh, Pastor Allen and I both agreed on, or God told us the same thing last year, was the word peace and operate in peace. And uh, I was going to teach the teacher something, and, and he had something for the church last year. And then I was, uh, Marcia was working at the front desk, Pastor Marcia, so I shared with her. She goes, you've been talking to Pastor Allen? And I said, no, and because it's the same scriptures, similar, similar points. So I, find it, I found it kind of fascinating. And so this year when I was seeking the Lord for the vision, uh, for the spiritual vision for the school, the word culture of peace came to me. And then when Pete started talking several months ago about he was going to do a, a series on lost languages, and, we, and he explained it to me. I said, wow, this kind of fits. And then as he saw... Uh, what I did with the teachers, he asked me to present this to you. And so I want you to stop and think for a minute. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth. The religious people, it had been prophesied for so many years. Their hopes, their dreams was Jesus coming to the earth. But their vision of it and what they wanted, wanted was different, totally different, from what God wanted, the people wanted someone to smite people. Jesus came in peace. So I want to talk to you today. I want to start, go back to what Scott Webb said, Pastor Scott Webb. He said two things. Be full, which meant stay in prayer, stay in the word, stay in church, stay in fellowship. And stay out of God's way. One way you can get in God's way is to be out of peace. And so I want to talk to you that today. And so the title of this is Culture of Peace. And I, my background as a teacher, I taught before the military in public schools. I taught after the military. I taught in the military. Uh, so I like people to have, be able to have notes. So I put my notes on slides. So as we go along, uh, you'll have my notes. And at the end, I'll make them available, uh, whether I post them on Facebook or whether you, I, I put them on my webpage, but we'll determine that later, uh, and I'll let uh, Pastor Pete figure out what's the best. Okay, so I want you to stop and think, why peace? And I want to go over, you know, the purpose of it. And it's, peace is a blessing. I want to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. I want the church to be blessed. And you want the thing, thing to a thousand generations. And so the second part of this is how do we develop a culture of peace? So let's go ahead and get started on this. I don't have the slides behind me, so I might have to peek behind my back to see what's up. So if you'll excuse that a little bit. Okay, the first thing I want to discuss is the duality of war and peace. And I don't mean the super long novel by the famous author from Russia. What I want to talk about is Jesus talks about put on your whole armor. 
It talks about a double-edged sword, the Word of God. And it talks about the second advent, the second coming of Christ will be more warlike. But the first coming was not. It was peace. So, for unto us a child is born, the Prince of Peace. Yet, we have this, the kingdom of this world. This is a statement that I got from an author. The kingdom of this world is at war with the kingdom of God. So the peace that you have, you have to realize, is not with the world. The peace is in the heavenlies. It's said in the scripture right here. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness. So, I ask you, where is your war? It is a war in the heavenlies. And it's not with people. We're to reach people. They out there, whoever they is in your mind, is not the enemy. We are in the kingdom of God. Pastor, over and over, for as long as I can remember, has spoken, Pastor Allen, that is, spoken, this is the kingdom of God. The economy in the kingdom of God is different. Everything in the kingdom is opposite from the world. You need to live in the kingdom of God because you are in the kingdom of God. So what this means is fight the right war. Don't suit up and be on the other team. Stay out of God's way. Now, I do these by school year. Pastor does these by annual in January, and we overlap in this. So I'm going to talk to you about, uh, and we, we overlapped literally in January on this. And so this is kind of what I shared with the teachers in January. And so here is where we're at. There's two main scriptures that, I, that we, Pastor and I focused on, and why peace and Timothy. And the second scripture that I went into is executing some of this and the importance of melding together peace and wisdom. So we'll start here, peace. In Galatians 5, it's a fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. It's one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peace is important to God. Very important to God. You break the peace, you're in danger of being in God's way. In 1 Timothy 2, I urge, I urge then, first of all, that petitions... Prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. What people? That's everybody. They're not the enemy. For kings and all those in authority, that when we live peaceful and quiet lives, that in all godliness and holiness, and this is where on your prayer list? At the top of your list. Because it says, I urge you then, first of all, first things first, 
prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving for everyone, especially those for an authority, even if you don't like them. You have a responsibility to pay for leaders, whether it's Bush, Obama, Trump, or Biden. Now, we make war in the heavenlies. So when you pray, you influence the advice, the wisdom, and everything that's around the White House. Biden should be one of the most prayed-for presidents ever. Because he has plenty of influence to draw from that some of you may view as not godly. If you don't pray for him, you're not putting protection and ideas and things out there from which that administration can draw from. Because in Proverbs it says, God can turn the king's heart. And it goes, do not pray. This is kind of Bill Johnson had a sermon on this that I like. He goes, don't pray against them. That's not your assignment. You're making accusations against them, and so you're not doing your responsibility. And here's a question for you. Who's the accuser? Have you joined sides on the wrong way? Not your role. Not your anointing. Not your calling. And you're out of the will of God. God says, man, your post. Why? For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. God wants it to be peaceful. We want it in godliness. We want it in holiness. And for this is good, and it pleases God our Savior, at the bottom line, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth? This isn't about you. This isn't about your opinions. This isn't about which political party you're in. This is about saving souls. That's the heart of the Father. What is God's heart in this? 1 Peter 3.9 He is not willing that anyone should perish. He's not willing that anyone should perish. He wants them to come to repentance. So live in peace. Pray for our leaders. Stay out of God's way. Hey, let's talk about James I sent, uh, I have some pastor friends and some other friends, so I sent this, and uh, one sent back to me about uh, that I was preaching on this, and I did, he didn't see my slides, so he went right to James talking about what I'm getting ready to talk about, so two witnesses, I'll say on that. So James, the first two chapters, I love James, why is it important to me? Because James was the one disciple who stayed locally and was in a local church, and he understood the inner workings of the local church. 
So when he gives advice, he sees and hears and knows, and he gives some of the best advice on how to function in the church and how the church should function. We even quoted double-minded today. Chapter 3 builds upon maturity. Focuses on how we use our words and how we speak to others. Do you think how we use our words and how we speak to others has anything to do with peace? James 3.13, I love this part of James 3. Whoever is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and humility that comes from wisdom. So there's a connection with peace and wisdom in my mind. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Man, I got that guy. It was in your face. That's not peace. Such wisdom does not come down from the heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there will find disorder in every evil practice. Let's stop, let's stop and talk a little bit about your opinions. It's easy to read the news and read things and have opinions and have strong opinions. The danger for you, danger for me, the danger for us is we let those opinions drive us. That is not peace. And it may be wisdom from below. So one of the things that I learned basically from working with a lot of generals and admirals is I just didn't offer opinion. I didn't have opinion unless I was asked. And so I later learned that has to do with peace. But the wisdom that comes above from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit. Most people miss the impartial word in here, and sincere. Having an opinion. Is that impartial? Peacemakers who sow in peace reach a harvest, reap a harvest of righteousness. Here's some questions that are rhetorical. I once had to explain that to an eighth grade class, what rhetorical meant, and they still didn't get it. The question is, are you mature in your wisdom? It will show in your conduct, your gentleness, your mercy, your humility towards others and God. And I'm going to slightly diverge a little bit here and say make no mistake about it, an uncontrollable tongue is not, is a sign of foolishness in God's eyes. Here's some things to think about. In any given situation, are our words gentle? 
Are they full of mercy? Do they resist prejudice or have an opinion? Do they encourage peace? Do, do you have to be right? Do we have to be right? Would you rather be right or in right relationship? Here at the school, we have staff and we have a lot of teachers. And so we have the little ones that we could hurt their faith. Now you're out there in the world. People know you're Christian and they're watching you. You're always on stage. Do you have road rage? Guilty. How do you talk to people? I'll tell you the number one thing I've heard from people, I think over the years, is that Christians are known for is exceedingly poor tippers. I had some friends who was a he was an engineer in the Air Force, his wife, that we lived over in Okinawa with them, and they used to work at this place called Silver Dollar City in Missouri. And they worked at this restaurant there, and one of the running jokes was someone would leave a track, and they would uh, put it up on this bulletin board, written with a sharpie, the tip. Good grief! Your your father's a gazillionaire. Why are you cheating the waitress? If you can't afford a twenty percent tip. Don't go. You know, I read another article recently because I followed the trends, because I like to cook, and one of the waitresses commented, I hate to see a family pray because I know I won't get a good tip. This wasn't in my notes. This is, this is a freebie. <laughs> so... You're always on stage. Now, this school year, like I said, I kind of told you how to come into being with this culture of peace as I was praying over the summer. Um, and then Pete was sharing with me how Pastor Pete was going to do the lost languages. And then I heard his first sermon, it just kind of just meshed with it. And so he asked me to talk about this and how do we bring together a culture of peace? We still focus on peace, but how do we do that? And so my goal, stated goal for the school was develop and maintain a culture of peace. And there's three ways to do this. Uh, from, and this is from actually from a pastor friend who uh, I've known for 50 years. And he studied, stated it this way. He kind of brought together my thoughts. And the first thing is peace with God. The second thing is peace with man which means peace with your fellow worshipers here. It means peace with your spouse. It means peace at work. You may not have it, but are you doing your peaceful part? And then finally, peace with the world. And you already saw in 1 Timothy. So we'll start and go through these. First, let's start with peace with God. Let's go over to Matthew 27. And 
We'll go to Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus, when he had yielded and cried out loud with the voice, yielded the, the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was tore, earth rent in two from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And then some of the saints rose from the dead. It was quite a ruckus. But this very tall veil separating the holies of holies was torn in two. It was so holy in there, they'd tie a rope around the priests so if he went in to do the rituals uh, and they stopped moving, they'd go, oh my gosh. So they didn't want to go in there and get him. They didn't want him to rot in there, so they had a rope tied to him so they could haul him back in. The significance of that torn veil, it changed everything with peace with God. His sacrifice, the shedding of blood, paid the price for sin. This temple was built with human hands. The temple and its religious system are now obsolete. Christ is now the only way to the Father. Peace with God. In Hebrews, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of the Jesus, by a new and living way, which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. What does that mean? Peace with God is direct. You have direct access. You just have to pray. Repent. Seek forgiveness. And you're restored. That's huge. You have direct access to the Holy of Holies. Now let's go to peace with others. For centuries... The Jewish people looked down on the Gentiles. They had this covenant relationship with God, and Jews considered themselves superior to the Gentiles. Their attitudes drove a deep-seated wedge of hostility between the two groups. But Jesus came, paid the Christ, and died, and he obliterated distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Everybody's family. Let's go to Scripture for that. Ephesians 2 14 through 16, for Christ himself had brought peace to us. He united the Jews and the Gentiles into one people. Within his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending a system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating himself one new people from two groups, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by the means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Jesus brought a culture of peace to the earth. He expects his bride, the church, of Christ, the church to be a place of peace. And there's no distinctions between people 
In Galatians 3 says 28, it says, There's neither Jew nor Gentiles nor slave nor free, nor the male or female, for you are all in one in Christ Jesus. There's no race, no sex. It all comes down to all equal in Jesus' eyes. There's no distinctions. There's no caste system. There's no class of citizens. There's not even the ministers and the people. We're all equal in God's eyes. We all have equal access to the throne. So Jesus came in with his death. He gave you first peace with God. Second, he bought peace to the religious folks. Now we're all one. He bought a culture of peace, a new culture, a culture of peace. This changed the world forever. This changed the world. Peace changed the world. But I do want to define what culture is. So the Lord gave me this thing, culture of peace. Okay, I've not heard that. So I went and looked it up and Googled it. That's what we all do. And I came across a definition by Ken Sand. Did I go backwards? Okay, I'm sorry. I don't have the monitor up here like I normally would. Ken Sand, a culture where people are eager and able to resolve conflict and reconcile relationships in a way that clearly reflects the love and power of Jesus Christ. Remember, peace doesn't have to do with everybody being happy. There's a reconciliation and a restoration that takes place because you're made complete. That's what we're talking about with peace. You're made complete and made whole. Now, culture of peace, peace is not the lack of conflict. The church wants unity. What we don't want is this cult-like unity where everybody believes the same thing, has the same giftings, has everything, and chants and sings the same way, raises their hands the same way. No, we need diversity. We all have different giftings. Some may evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. Some say missions, missions, missions. Some say worship, worship, worship. Some have a heart for the poor. Some have a heart for the children. These are all conflicting demands in the church and conflicting demands on the budget. But in unity, we work together and understand those giftings that they all have a place. It's a beautiful thing. Those come together to form the church. Everyone has a part to play. And all those different things I just named, and there's tons more, you have a part. Our United Community Believers, the body of Christ.
the body of Christ. It's not a cult. We don't think the same way. And you know what? That's okay. I'm married. There's no way I think like my wife. But we're in unity. Okay, here's an approach. First of all, no matter what, we glorify God. We have a desire to glorify, and it must motivate our entire lives. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Remember, we're always working towards being made whole, and being made right, and reconciliation in everything. One of the first things we do is humility. You know, the one scripture that always sticks in my mind, God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. And what that means to resist the proud, God takes his hands and holds them back. I don't want God to take his hand and resist my efforts. Because now you have a, you don't have peace with God, you're getting in God's way. So you have to have total humility. When I was uh, in 2000, I heard this one evangelist called Ed Savoso. And uh, he has harvest ministries, and he, he's an, he was a South, South American evangelist. And one of the things he spoke on was pride. He goes, we get worked up about all these things, about people doing this or that, people, you know, having premarital sex or having affairs, yet we tolerate in the church pride. And we don't call people out for pride. How did Satan end up in hell? Why did he fall? Pride. Another thing he said, and I posted on my Facebook page, is pride is like bad breath. Everybody knows you got it except the one who has it. So we have to have a total humility knowing that we're wicked sinners so we could be in their place. Given the circumstances that will doubt you and your reactions and how you walk through those, we don't know. I'm reminded of a story on a subway in the afternoon. This man is thinking in deep thought and he's got two kids or making a lot of noise and carrying on and running around. And finally, someone got frustrated and said, don't you see what a disturbance your kids are making for the passengers? And he looks around and he says, oh, I'm sorry, you're right. They just came from their mother's funeral. Until you walk in their shoes, you just don't know. God's plan is to gently restore. 
The Bible gives a clear instruction in approaching those with whom we have conflict or disagreement. Brethren, if a man is overtaken by any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. It doesn't start with the conversation you're going to hell. Come up higher. Let's go to a higher place, my brother, my sister. And then finally, reconciliation is so important. Once we've addressed the conflict, we must be willing to restore the individual. Matthew 5, 24. Even says if you're bringing gifts to the altar, leave your gift before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation is so very important. In your friends, in your workplace, in your church, in your home. Now the final area is peace with the world. And I want to go back to 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I urge you, first of all, the position, the petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving made for all people. For kings and all those in authority that would be live peaceful and quiet lives and in all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Now let's talk about some different places in the scriptures where it talks about certain techniques to help you. First one, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. You want to be peaceful, speak gently. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Slow, peaceful, kind, loving. First Peter 3, 4. Rather, it should be of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, great, which is a great worth in God's sight. I know this is talking about wives in this thing, but it's also true. A gentle and quiet spirit. That's what the pressure, it's fragrance to our Heavenly Father. Okay, I'm going to go into Philippians 4 now, and this is kind of a powerful piece as we're winding down. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Many remember this song from many years ago. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's a powerful scripture. You could almost end on this one. 
and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A friend of mine said it this way. Peace can be the government of your life. Will you let peace guide your life? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. I think one of the things when you go to uh, John 14, Jesus is one of the last things he said, or perhaps the last thing he said to his disciples. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let their hearts, do not your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. First of all, if you followed what happened to the disciples, that wasn't very peaceful. Most of them were put to death. Hung upside down. Many other ways. But we're talking about the kingdom of God, not worrying. Worrying, uh, Mark, I came across this, with, and Mark Twain said this. Worrying is like paying a debt that you don't owe. Don't pay that cost. Worry furs your brow, makes you age early. Isaiah 26.3, and this is talking about someone. And it says, the steadfast of mine, God, you will keep in perfect peace because that person trusts in you. So, the question for me is, can we say this about ourselves? My steadfastness of mind. Lord, you will keep me in perfect peace because I trust in you. It's all right here in the mind. It all begins and ends in your mind when you give power to, has the power over you if you allow it. So the overall question, what's the reason Jesus came? To bring peace. The Jews with all those wonderful prophecies of the coming of Jesus. They missed it. We're in some exciting days. Days that trouble men's souls. But God is on the move. Be at peace. Get on the right team. 
Stay on the right team. Okay, the band, can you guys come up? The benediction, this is kind of the benediction song. And over and over again in the New Testament and the Old Testament, you hear that peace is a blessing. Even Psalm 29, 11, where there's all kinds of turmoil, and yet God is still on the throne, and he gives peace. In verse 12 of Psalm 29. So the question is, the three peace areas that we talked about, number one, peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Number two, do you have peace with each other? Do you have peace with someone at school? Do you have peace with with people at work? Do you have peace with people here in the church? Most importantly, that core unit is the home. Do you have peace at home with your spouse and your kids? And finally, do you have peace with the world? What are you saying about the Democrats? What are you saying about the Republicans? Be quiet and quit making accusations. You're not, that's not your role. Pray. Man your position. You were called. Are you fulfilling your calling? Revival depends on peace. Prayer will light the fire. We need a culture of peace. Followed by intercession and prayer. Because now is the time. Now is the time for revival. Do your part. Operate in peace. Let's pray. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings. Father, we pray an anointing on the body of Christ here where we pray the blessing of peace. Peace on the families. Peace on the children. Peace at work. Peace at school and peace in the public. We bless your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.